everyone, and welcome back to the Well Nerds Podcast. This is episode number 95, and this is part two. My name is Slater, and I'm here with Adam and Caitlin. What's up? It's been like 45 seconds. <laughs> Hello. You're lying, because... These Caitlin episodes are coming out a week apart. <laughs> yeah, but for us, Caitlin for the recorders... Trulies, wow. Every minute wow. Wow, just wow. get wow. outed, bro. Just... I'm drinking... All right. I'm drinking a beer that's called Relax. It's just the hazy IPA, and there's a whale shark on it. <laughs> oh, you cool got Alvarado guys? Street over there? Yeah. Nice. That is good beer. They should redesign the can and put killer whales on it. You call them up, dude. Help them out. Um, so this is part two. Uh, episode 94 is called Sinking Carbon Part 1. This is Sinking Carbon Part 2. So... Um, it's helpful to go back and listen to part one, but you're not obligated to. So um, it'll still kind of make sense if you just listen to this one as a one-off thing. Do whatever you're going to do to listen to the episodes. Um, so thank you, everyone, for supporting us, listening, rating, reviewing, booking trips, buying merch. You can do all those things on our website, thewhalenerds.com. Um, you can leave a review or subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to it. That helps other people find it. The more reviews and subscriptions we have, the more we go up in the list for people to find us. So, or, you know, tell a random stranger as you're walking down the street to listen to our podcast, whatever works for you. But Everybody likes whales, right? Everybody likes whales. I mean, everybody should like whales. And if you don't, then you got to educate your friends yeah. and be like, hey, like whales. Get it together. Whales take care of our planet. Yeah, that's what we're talking about right now. Don't tell people that. That's our I'll, idea. We'll bleep it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I have a couple announcements for myself before we get into the topics. Um, pretty soon I'm driving across the country as this episode goes out on air uh, but what's waiting for me at my permanent mailing address is a captain's license. Oh, drum roll. Woo, woo. Yeah. Hello, this so. is uh, your captain speaking. This is yeah. uh, Caitlin Taylor. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome aboard the uh, Slater's boat. My name is Caitlin. I'll be your captain today, <laughs> taking you out so you can't locate some whales or dolphins. Uh, there's been a lot of common dolphins in the area. Oh, way wrong part of the state. Are you talking about Newport? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> um, and Captain, then, Captain Caitlin, I yeah. like that. CK. CK! Legally, legally can, can to... take paying passengers on the ocean. Dude, one day we're going to be one day we're going to be talking across boats on the water and people are going to hate us because we're just going to be chatting it up. No. I, I hate radio traffic <laughs> like That's that. that? <laughs> well, then you're not going like, to... We can going talk on the phone. Away. Okay, and then my other announcement is that I'm going to work this winter for Pacific Whale Foundation again in Maui. So I'll be heading out there in December, and I'm going to go see some humpback whales and some turtles. And I have an world travel over here. I'm going to go visit Caitlin yeah. in Maui this winter. Adam, book your ticket so you can come too. When are you going? I, I, I just like around like February 1st or something like end of, yeah. Yeah. Dude, I'm gonna take off time you to need go to, to Maui. See I'm going to, to Big Bear. I'm also gonna do Baja, and then I'm gonna take more to time Big off Bear? for freaking killer whale season. Give me one good reason boys. to go to Big Bear instead of Maui. My college buddies. Ugh, oh, yeah. whatever. That's gonna, that's gonna help you. <laughs> that's in January. That's in January. Look, I'm taking time off in January. Now I have to take time off in February, and I'm taking and time April. off in March to go see the to go see the, the gray whales. And April, Dave's gonna fire me. <laughs> Dave, if you're listening to this podcast, it's <laughs> for a good cause. Um, good yeah, so if you want to come see whales with all of us, I mean, DM us about Maui, but uh, we are running trips in April 22nd, 23rd, and 24th. Um, for killer whale season, we're going to be going out with Blue Ocean Whale Watch for six hours each day. Were you going to say something? I have an idea. Right. We could do like a... Uh, like a... Because I was thinking if we get enough people, we could just charter a boat anyways. We could do like a non-official trip in Maui, like pretty yeah. easily, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're interested, just shoot um, Whale Nerds Instagram a message or email us at whalenerds at gmail.com. 
and we'll see if maybe we can get either a group rate or yeah, maybe just six charter pack, the boat. Right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. there's already going to be, I was going to rent a six. I figured we would rent a six pack some of the days I'm there anyways. So. Yeah. Yeah. So let us know. I mean, it's on our um, wish list of destinations to do as we get more and more experience running trips, but um, it's just too short for us to try and pull it yeah. off this season. But uh, maybe in future humpback Hawaii seasons. Um, so yeah, if you want to come and just kind of hang out with us and get on a boat with us, we'd love to have you. Um, definitely you have to come on the Saturday night celestial cruise with Harriet Witt out of Motley Harbor. Oh yeah. You're going to learn some <laughs> My stuff. Favorite cruise of the week. Every week. My week is not complete unless I work the celestial and stargazing cruise. <laughs> Better have a couple of my ties and get ready. And tell her that the sky is divided into paragraphs. So she completely loses her train of thought. <laughs> and see which see how your male oh, parts man. affect the ocean testicular navigation and <laughs> and there could be bioluminescence last time i was pouring yeah. some, some of my drink over into the ocean maybe a little bit it was i was ice cubes <laughs> we threw ice cubes in the water <laughs> to see it splash and you can see the bioluminescence yeah so and my hair will still be as crazy oh probably <laughs> Except for it'll be salty because we'll be diving all morning. So bring your snorkel gear and your swimsuits. Get ready to hear some humpback whales underwater for yourself. Can't and even wait, hear them dude. from the beach. Oh, it's beautiful. Also on the stargazing cruise, if it's calm enough, if it's calm enough, we shut the boat off. And if there's a singer nearby, sometimes you can hear the whale singing through the boat. It's so cool. That's a fact. So yeah. should I cry now or later? Both. Adam. You could what? legit like on the rib. You could seriously like they'll if it's right below you. Sometimes they'll they'll take a breath and then just basically sit right below you on the bottom and sing, and it's loud. Well, and like okay, so what happens on Celestial is like when it gets dark, we if it's calm, we shut the boat off because Harriet wants to talk about everything in the night sky, and it's better experience if the boat's off because it's not as noisy, right? Well, one night I was in the galley and I was like, I kept hearing this like. But like really high pitched and like kind of like metally sounded, and I was like, is something squeaking on the boat? And then I thought about it for a second. And I put my ear up to the side of the boat because it's all metal, so it all echoed. And I was like, oh my god, there's a whale singing. So I went up and got the captain, and he made Harriet stop. And he was like, everybody put their ear on something metal on the boat. You can hear the whale. So cool. I I really think that Adam will be actually pretty mind blown about Maui. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Pretty dang amazing. What are, you, what are the dates this year? When February, are you going? First week of February. I, 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 let me make first sure week of February? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got to freaking put it on the schedule that Dave will lose. We put literally request we, 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 did this, <laughs> we did this whole sheet. We did this whole sheet of like request time off, and then Dave lost the sheet within like two days. And we're like, God dang it. And we don't know what time everybody has off. Just yes, fire Adam. him, dude. He's not like the captain or anything important, right? He's not the operations manager or anything. <laughs> Like February, frick it, Friday, Tuesday, February 1st through the whatever. Friday, Tuesday. Whatever. Well, you have to tell me the date so I can put them on there so I can try February to get off. February 1st I'm... is like a Tuesday, right? Yeah. Yeah. Better go I'm literally going to gonna get fired. I'm going to get fired. Come to Maui. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, also, by the time this episode goes out, a new book will be on the market, which I think is going to be pretty cool. Um, it's by a scientist that I have a lot of respect for, Michael Moore. Um, it's called We Are All Whalers, The Plight of Whales and Our Responsibility. And uh, just a little write-up about it is, relating his experiences caring for endangered whales, a veterinarian and marine scientist shows us that we can all share in the salvation of these imperiled animals. Um, so it's talking about his 40 years of fieldwork experience with humpback whales, pilot whales, fin whales, and in particular, North Atlantic right whales, um, a species whose population has declined more than 20% since 2017. Moore takes us with him as he performs whale necropsies on animals stranded on beaches in his independent research alongside whalers using explosive harpoons and as he tracks injured whales to deliver sedatives. The whale's plight is a complex confounding and disturbing one. We learn of existing but poorly enforced conservation laws and efforts to balance the push for fisheries profit versus the protection of endangered species caught by accident. But despite these challenges, Moore's tale is an op optimistic one. Um, he shows how technologies for ropeless fishing gear and acoustic tracking of whale migrations can make a dra dramatic difference 
and he looks ahead with hope as our growing understanding of these extraordinary creatures fuels an ever stronger drive for change. So, we are all whalers by Michael Moore. I'm sure you will be able to buy it anywhere that books are sold. So, are you reading the audiobook on it? Because that was peaceful. Um, that would be really cool, actually. You know what, whale people? If you want to hire me to narrate your audiobook, if you don't have an audiobook, like, oh. holla at your girl. Whoa, I dude. will read it. She only charges 150 a page. <laughs> Hopefully it's a 2,000 page book. <laughs> no, but seriously, I would be happy to read it for you. If you don't, if you're not comfortable reading it, if you don't like the robot that they had read it for you before, let me know. I'm in. I have the equipment. I have the time. I have the. She does have the equipment. Patience. I narrated Adam's little miniature documentary. Yeah, yeah you did. I paid you yeah. fat. <laughs> my first paid gig yeah your first paid narration gig and Caitlin's yeah. gonna leave us dude when she just starts narrating the world I know, oh she, my god trust me I know <laughs> David Attenborough 2.0 <laughs> on the way <sighs> anyways okay before we get into these topics um, I feel like we do need to understand the difference between a metric ton and a short ton so in the U.S., we use short tons. That's 2,000 pounds is a short ton. However, many of these topics we're going to talk about measure things in metric tons. So a metric like ton. Real people, like smart people. Yeah, like people. the whole rest of the world. Like the rest of the entire planet. <laughs> Literally the rest of the world. <clears throat> we should just change it. <clears throat> Anyways, a metric ton is 1,000 kilograms, which means 2,205 pounds. So they're really fairly close they're about 200 pounds difference a metric ton is slightly heavier okay, okay. that's your definition okay. okay science with caitlin taylor captain caitlin taylor, sorry <laughs> adam i don't know you better start working on something because if you don't get your captain's license you can't be on the podcast anymore oh <laughs> i don't need like 600 more years on the water i know yeah no i don't take a long I, have time. Enough, I have enough time you have 720 days on a vessel of I think I'm I no, I'm, I'm coming close. To, I'm, I'm coming close. To How it, many though. years have you been full time? 3. I mean it took me it's about it's about if 8 worked, years. It's about it's about it, It's a little over 3 because you don't go 365 days a year. Yeah. So. No, yeah. Yeah. I mean it took me like 8 cuz I got trapped in an office and then I worked seasonally and then you got, got You know. You know. You got some things I'm, to get done, sir. I'm trying to get hired by Nat Geo, bro. Get off my back. Listen, but do your steps, sir. No, sorry, we, BBC. Oh, we love you. Oh, I'll, oh, I'll take Nat Geo. I'll take either one. So <laughs> Adam just dusted his, his his only. They were gonna hire you too. They told me. Nat Geo, wow. sorry, not good enough. BBC, here I come. Let's get that big British money. Yeah. Okay, so let's get into okay. it. Okay, <laughs> let's do it. So last week we talked about oil spills, but also how whales are assisting in carbon fixation in our oceans and that our oceans can act as carbon sinks. Um, so they're bringing more carbon in away from the atmosphere than they are releasing into the atmosphere. So this week I had found a few topics talking about this concept of blue carbon. And uh, the first study I looked at is called Coastal Blue Carbon, an Important Tool for Combating Climate Change. And this was put out by Pew Charitable Trust. And it's kind of just like a holistic look at uh, what the heck is blue carbon and like why should people be adding this to their policies and their management strategies. So basically, blue carbon can be found anywhere where the land and the sea meet. And the main habitats that they define are areas like mangroves marshes, wetlands, kelp forests. So places where you have these uh, marine adapted plants that are providing an ecological service and uh, providing a carbon sink. So when you think about like, when you talk about hurricanes and coastal erosion and uh, near shore fisheries importance, these are all the habitats that you're thinking about, right? Like mangroves, marshes, kelp forests, it's places where juvenile fish come to shelter, provides a feeding habitat for uh, birds and nearshore mammals and larger fish, but also provides a buffer for wave action for your coastlines. 
And then they're plants. So they take carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and they make oxygen. So um, there's a whole bunch of reasons why these habitats are important for the ecosystem, but also translates into economic value for people. I mean, when you look at the devastation of a hurricane on the coastline, and then you look at how much a mangrove or a wetland could have protected our economically viable resources, you're like, dang, we shouldn't have filled those in and built on them. <laughs> well, it's also like, I think I understand this, right? Like as the climate changes and waters warm, it gives more fuel to hurricanes with yep. hotter temperatures. Yeah. So, I mean, there's more water to work with, right? As like our ice caps are melting, there's more seawater available to these storms, which then can reach further inland, but also warmer water pushes um, the storm further. Yeah. yeah. The evaporation effect is easier. And so the storm can get bigger and then maintain higher wind speeds and then it takes longer to break down on land. Like Hurricane Ida science made landfall in the Gulf, flooded the entire eastern seaboard all the way to me in Massachusetts this winter. Flooded from Louisiana all the way to Massachusetts. Like that over land. It didn't go back out of the ocean. It just kept flooding its whole way up the coast. Like that's nuts. Why'd they do it? Yeah, that's crazy. Because she just had all the fuel she needed. She just picked up all that warm seawater and was like, let's go mess some stuff up. <laughs> wow, we're so lucky we don't have stuff like that here. It just makes, we have like, we're pretty chill. Chill vibes in Cali. <laughs> yeah. We do have earthquakes though, although it's been very chill with earthquakes yeah. lately. Yeah. The big one's coming, but. The last good one I was with Caitlin for. That's true. That's <laughs> the most memorable earthquake I've had in my life. Um. <laughs> Except for one time, I had, there was an earthquake, and I had a fish tank behind me, and the fish tank I thought was going to go top over. I was real scared. I mean, I had one even in Oregon as a kid that I thought everything was going to fall off the bookshelf. But, um, yeah, that was the most memorable one with the whales breaching. So this article, the whole um, thing it's pushing for is that there now needs to be an effort to put a monetary value on these habitats in an effort to convince lawmakers that these areas are worthy of protection and restoration and should not be developed. You should look at this habitat has more value staying how it is than turning into real estate or commercial use or whatever. Like it needs to stay a mangrove forest. It needs to stay a wetland. I I think people will begin to realize that when Florida really starts having some issues. Yeah, exactly. Because they've ripped out like all of the mangroves almost at least on the yeah. um eastern coast oh what was i i think it's all I just listening. miami's just all hotels and crap it's like they're gonna get over yeah i think i was listening to a podcast called drilled i think it was one of their episodes i can't remember but it was like talking about the like oceanfront real estate of florida and like how it's all just this giant scheme to keep getting people to buy condos that are gonna be flooded and like it's this weird like somehow they're so good at selling it that like people don't even think about it when they're buying it but then like the first big ugly rainstorm of the winter comes and like they can't leave their house because the street's flooded wow what like that condo is gonna have no resale value when the first floor is underwater all winter (laughs) what a crazy world we live in did you see have you seen mangroves caitlin Mm-hmm. The best ones I've seen are in Baja, but when I took the boat down the coast last year, we saw some too. Oh man! In Magdalena Bay, they were real pretty. Yeah. Yeah. In San Ignacio, in there's a super cool. Yeah, there's a big one just south of the um, camp we stayed at at Coyima, um in San Ignacio too. Frickin- you can kayak through them and stuff. I saw freaking huge mangroves with like stingrays in them, and then I also caught a chuckawalla right next to the mangroves. <laughs> Ski ski. I think um, the coolest thing was seeing the pelicans roosting in them when we went down the intercoastal waterway. Oh, that's awesome. Both white and brown pelicans would roost in them at night. It was really cool. That's super cool. So, 
Yeah, blue carbon. Okay, so the state of California and the National Marine Sanctuary System has bought into this blue carbon idea. So there's a document available on NOAA's um, online library called Blue Carbon in Marine Protected Areas. And this was an assessment for Greater Farallon's National Marine Sanctuary. So one of the researchers I know pretty well I know of his work, Jason Scorsi, he's actually based in Monterey at Middlebury Institute. And he does this whole concept of blue economy. And so I think in Central California, this concept is like not super foreign to people. So like national marine sanctuaries are starting to assess this blue carbon thing. So the Cordell Bank uh, or greater, excuse me, Greater Farallon's National Marine Sanctuary did an assessment of their blue carbon assets. And so they looked at seagrass beds, salt marshes, kelp forests, and whales as their blue carbon sources in their sanctuary, mm. which I thought that was cool. They looked at like these um, plant-based sources, and then they also looked at whales. They were like, this is just as important as these other three things. So important. their assessment quantified the export of carbon to the deep sea via bulk kelp within the sanctuary boundaries, whale falls of five baleen uh, whale species and these processes together have the potential to sequester 4,950 megagrams of carbon each year which is the equivalent of 18,150 metric tons of CO2 wow. and that's valued at $925,650 of social benefit annually that's 140 the times the amount of carbon emitted from annual sanctuary operations. That's so like this, badass. the sanctuary is putting money in the bank. So what you're saying is we're not that bad as whale watchers. No. Well, oh. I don't like know how they- <laughs> freaking 30 yeah. humpback whales every yeah. day? I don't know. I don't remember the details of how they calculate annual sanctuary operations, but- yeah, this environment is putting money in the carbon bank, which is then putting money in the real bank. So they said coastal blue carbon habitats in the sanctuary currently hold approximately 175,000 mega, what, did, what was the number? Dude. How did you say that thing? Megagrams of carbon in their sediments, which if destroyed would release approximately 643,000 metric tons of CO2 into the atmosphere, which is the equivalent of adding 140,000 cars to the road for the year. Wait, so say if, it again. if you destroyed the sediment of the Greater Farallons National Marine Sanctuary, if you disturbed it, it would release 643,000 metric tons of CO2 into the atmosphere. That is the equivalent of adding 140,000 cars to the road for the year. So okay. imagine how many. So don't be messing with the sediments, okay? I just thought of mangroves. Yeah. You guys want to make money? No. I'm talking big money. <laughs> okay. Okay. It's, it, it's put if on the podcast for thousands of people to hear. It's worth $2 million. Every whale we save that's disentangled, we should get paid by the government big money. Whether you freaking take the photo of it to help disentangle it or you. Well, luckily, I'm part of Santa Barbara's local disentanglement team. So, also, then could I make a couple hundred thousand bucks from that year that we had 70 humpback whales entangled in Monterey? That's what I'm saying. It's traumatic for me. It was pain and suffering for me. Yeah, those big gear drinks. They, they, I think they, I'm pretty sure they just um, pushed crab season back because there's still whales around. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like no Thanksgiving crab for y'all. Sorry. The population. Who's Thanksgiving crab? Dang. Two People million. in California, dude. It's a big deal. Y'all weird. I don't know, dude. I asked. I actually asked the fishermen out here. I was like, do you guys do seafood for Thanksgiving? Turkey, Thanksgiving? And they were like, meh, not really. Oh, by the way, I was driving by at Moss Landing by the, um, right past the, uh, right where the, what's the other, not, not. And Bari, but what's the other one that's right there? Moss Landing Marine Labs? Yeah. So you know how they have like a driveway to go up? Yeah. Right before there, there's like a little house with the turkeys. There was yeah. seriously, I counted 11 turkeys out front. I was like, you guys better get inside. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> you can go pick one out for Thanksgiving. Oh. Hey, at least you know where your turkey came from. Yeah, sure. Sure. I mean, I think that's a good goal to have. Know where your protein comes from. True. So I just, these two reports, I think were very interesting. And it's a, I think it's a positive sign that management is sort of considering things in the right direction. Like we need to account for these resources in our environment and put them into our decision-making process and put them into our uh, management goals and management process to understand that these parts of the ecosystem are having an effect. And so- Almost like we just talked about that in the last episode. Yeah, but also like <laughs> maybe it helps management prioritize what's more important within their- scope you know what i mean like yeah. saving whales should maybe like go back to the top of the list again <laughs> yeah i would think so yeah save the whales movement let's start it again let's so then the here's a super cool paper that just blows everything we thought we knew about the whale pump out of the water yeah i've been waiting for this like so stoked on this okay so this paper <laughs> went out in nature researchers from stanford university at the gold bogan lab put out a paper called baleen whale prey consumption based on high resolution foraging measurements. So um, I want to open this. It is abstract only. So if you have academic access, holla at you girl, cause I would like to read the whole article, but um, Matthew Savoka also just my track record with pronouncing people's names. I'm sure I said it wrong. So um, this is his project in the Gold Bogan lab. And uh, so just kind of the highlights from the abstract, and then I'll talk more about an article that he did an interview for with NPR that gave a little bit uh, more information. So they put suction cup tags on seven different species of baleen whales. They deployed 321 tags over the course of this study that he was able to analyze the data. They also had acoustic data from the study area to help kind of assess prey abundance. And they were looking at like, how much are these whales eating every day? They studied the Atlantic, Pacific and Southern oceans. And they actually think that in some ecosystems, whales are eating three times more food than we previously thought. Imagine that they have three mouths instead of one. <laughs> So we'll talk a little bit more about this when we talk about the NPR article, but like the really sciencey highlights are, especially for the Southern Ocean, that like totally changes the frame of reference that people had about what the Southern Ocean was like before whaling. So they're thinking now that whales were missed to see, so baleen whales in the Southern Ocean were eating 430 million tons of Antarctic krill a year before whaling. 430 yeah. million tons of krill. Think about how much krill that is. That's just what the baleen whales were eating. So this is twice the current estimate for how much biomass is abundant in the Southern Ocean today. These whales were eating twice as much as what's down there now. What? Yeah. This is also more than twice the global catch rate of all marine fisheries today, of any fishery. And this is just krill that these whales were eating. So now, in addition to carbon, another factor that's huge is iron cycling. So the whale pump, actually, the main resource that the whales are pumping back to the surface is iron, because that's like one of the limiting nutrients in the um, surface water that phytoplankton need. So they're thinking that iron cycling was an entire factor higher pre-whaling than it is today. There's still some debate about that, but um, dude, that's nuts. 430 million tons of krill. I can't even wrap my head around that. Like how many Slater, individual krill? Slater looks overwhelmed. No, I, I am overwhelmed, but I also dropped the ball in this article. I could have been like the cover of it, I think. So Matthew email or message me. Oh, he asked the, the photo that oh, he really? wanted. The photo that he wanted, I, I was like, it's just not going to work or, or something like for cover, you know? 
Yeah. And then I, I guess I never sent him, like, I didn't see his last message. Mm. And I was like, man, that name sounds so familiar. So I looked it up. And, and he, goes, it. he goes, this is for nature.com, which is literally the article we're reading right now. And this is <laughs> like, so. <laughs> okay. So those are the highlights from the abstract. So he also Very did nice. an interview on NPR um, and sort of the highlights from that NPR interview um, for our blue whales that we see in the Eastern North Pacific. So for those of you that are listening off the California coast. They now have reassessed estimates to think that the maximum daily intake could be closer to 10 to 20 tons of krill a day. Is if that you metric read tons or metric short tons. tons, metric tons. Oh my god, it's even more. So, if you read any guidebook about California marine mammals, it says three to four tons a day. This is saying 10 to 20. <laughs> I mean, they don't eat at that rate every day, but the fact that they could eat 20 but, tons of krill in think, a day. Okay. Think about that day with the humpbacks I had at 48 and 08. And it's like my favorite day of lunch meeting. I, one of my favorite days I've had in my encounters with humpbacks in the last seven years. Yeah. They were lunch feeding five or six at a time. And one part, I told you guys, there was like 15 whales there, five at one side, five at the other. And then like a mile away, there was another 20 whales doing the same thing. Every like minute to two minutes, they were lunging. So that's, that's a matter. Well, okay. So get this. Here's the next part that I wrote down in my notes. Oh, my mind. On a very dense prey patch, blue whales are lunging 200 times a day, but humpback whales are lunging 500 times a day. So like Dude, the day that you what? saw Slater, that's like the rate where you How's that even get possible? to 500 lunges a day. Yeah. Well, I, okay. So wait, that, that's how many? 500 lunges a day? Yeah. Okay. So if they were doing it every two minutes, here's the one that's 30 every hour. You know what I mean? So that's 30 an hour. 30, that's Times not 24. Enough. That's not enough. They have to be doing it every 30 seconds. But yeah, isn't that crazy? But then like sometimes they lunge under the surface oh, no, several times before they come up. That is enough. If, if they do, if they're doing 30 an hour and they do yeah. it for 24 hours straight, which I truly believe they will just eat. We had, the, okay. We had them doing it for six hours that day straight. They were doing yeah. it. So yeah. Th- let's say they did 30 an hour, 30 times six, carry the one that's 180. Yeah. So they were did 180 lunges in six hours. Dude, just at the surface. Of, yeah. Just at the surface. Yeah. So, yeah, on all those dives that they were down a little longer, they could have just lunged and then yeah. got yeah. Because some of the tag data from um, like Ari Friedlander's work and then other work by the Goldbogen Labs shows that sometimes they will do five or six gulps or five or six lunges on a sub like a below surface dive before coming up for a breath. So, dude, and imagine incredible. like think think about the like the congregations of whales that we know of like. Monterey is a pretty big congregation of whales, but you guys remember in like in our planet at the end of like the high seas episode where they're off of South Africa and Mm -hmm. they have like 200 during the sardine run. Yep. Yeah. Like imagine that amount of food. I've seen it. Uh, uh, Caitlin saw it. That's what do you mean? In Monterey, we had days where there were like literally 150 to 200 humpback whales or 70 to 75 blue whales. Okay. So. <laughs> Caleb was bossing out with 200 whales, dude, on a random Wednesday. Okay, so uh, where are the ingredients for our time machine? So go back there. Blob, and then go back, go back to the Miocene. Well, but also, yeah, Sarah, you know, right. okay, so it was the warm water blob combined with the windiest June I ever worked in the ever. state of California, ever. It was horrible. June's not that great. It was either. like the worst month while watching ever it was like we got our butts kicked every day we didn't send out a single afternoon trip the whole month it was so windy but then the second week of july it was like whale of palooza it was insane insane well i said i'll take one more warm water blob if it's for the content (laughs) i'm just joking just ruining the anchovy population for life just one more time just so i can film it in 4k 120 just for for science purposes just for a little bit just for a little bit 
Okay, so thinking about what this all boils down to as far as nutrient cycling, um, they tried to kind of quantify what this maybe would look like in terms of iron. So before whaling, um, whales might have cycled as much as 12,000 metric tons per year in the Southern Ocean. But right now it's looking more like 1,200 metric tons per year of iron. So like a whole factor less now. Um, there's still some debate about how much effect the whale pump has on that. There's still some like invertebrate and, and phytoplankton biologists that are kind of hashing that out. Um, but anecdotal reports from the Southern Ocean, even up to the 1980s, said that surface krill used to be a very common occurrence in the um, ocean around Antarctica. And there are accounts that say that the surface water used to be red all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Like red, like that or red. Yeah, red from the krill. Wait, so I'm confused. Dang. That's so funny that we're talking about krill because, well, never mind. Dude, krill's the powerhouse of the ocean, man. I really wish we could have krill here again because that was one of my favorite days was with you and we had Jody Frediani on the boat and they were, yep. remember, they were lunch feeding and that was the day that yeah. I was like, one, two, three, and then after yeah. lunch, yep. Jody Frediani yep. thought I was magic. Well, <laughs> and then I got humpbacks from the drone lunch feeding because it was yeah. like, it's the easiest thing you could ever yeah. film. It's yeah. like, yeah, I'm there's confused. krill here, they're gonna lunch through it. Boom. Yeah. You're confused why. Have you watched them lunch feed through krill, Adam? It's no. so cool. It's literally like they they like you think they're gonna lunge normal and then they just turn sideways and go, Yeah, and they're like, like a lawnmower. <laughs> it's like it's a lawnmower. Oh, it's so cool. Wait, dude. if the, if there is reports if there's reports in the eighties of krill you could see on the surface for forever mm -hmm. and there's less whales in the 80s than there is now and whales help yeah so i mean i think some of it's a sign of a war i think some of it's kind of a compacting fa factor thing like southern oceans becoming warmer and things are becoming less predictable i mean yeah. that okay i should say there's two sets of reports Researchers used to see surface krill aggregations regularly until the 80s, but very old reports of like from the whaling days said that the water was red, like the sea was red from krill. Gotcha. Okay, so where, where is our krill? Occurrence is coming back. Our krill is freaking gone. No, where does our krill, where does it uh, come from? What do you mean? Like, where's it born at? Uh, I don't know if anybody knows that. But I don't well, because know. like in, in, in Antarctica, it's like under the ice. Yeah, but under the ice, they like yeah. Different. I know. Yeah. I was wondering that same thing because they feed on the algae under you the ice. You just told me it's born here, and then you tell me. <laughs> I know. So I'm saying like, yeah. where's our um, start at here? It's got to start I think, somewhere. I think it does bloom in the Monterey Bay habitat and then remain there. Um, who we typically have a lot of it in the channel, but ACS had a speaker um, probably three or four years ago actually that talked about this but life cycle of krill in california uh i don't remember exactly who it was you know what i might be able to look it up on acs's website because they uh archive all that stuff let's see krill is so interesting i just want to see a krill like what the heck you have it i want to see it on the surface being munched on bro it's cool when it's at the surface. It's like this little red vortex. It's really cool. I think I've seen I think I've I've seen a very small patch of the surface here in Santa Barbara and there's a bunch of like freaking seagulls pecking at it. We saw it out um last season actually out here and <laughs> we had a big argument with the captain because he was like, No, it's juvenile sand eels. And I was like, No, it's not. I was like, It's krill. And he's like, What do you know? This is your first season here. I was like, It's krill. And then like the next day. It was like undeniable. It was like this huge red patch for like a football field size. And I was like, see, it's krill. I told you. <laughs> Let's see. Think about all the things you've seen in Monterey and how it's prepared you for like everywhere else. Cause like you've probably seen it here already. I mean, yeah, you can literally see so many things in Monterey. It's crazy. Oh yeah, here, Baldo Marinovic. Um, he works at UC Santa Cruz Institute of Marine Sciences. He studies zooplankton ecology and dynamics of ocean food webs. That's who I heard talk about krill at ACS in 2017. So How do you remember that ago. crap? I, can't remember I used to breakfast. run those meetings. Okay, and? <laughs> it's, 
Dude, I think I was the only one during the talk that was like, this is fascinating. It was like taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he talks about, um, he talked about like krill life cycle and that kind of stuff. So if you're interested in that, um, in regards to the California coast, there's two species of euphausids that he normally studies. And um, he's at UC Santa Cruz, Dr. Baldo Marinovic. So I think one of my most like incredible feeding memories I have is actually on one of Alvaro's bird trips. We were up towards the fingers and there was krill being chased by anchovies and then humpback whales were just eating both. It was like, you'd see the krill flash and then the anchovies flash and then this whale's mouth. Oh my God, it was the coolest thing. That's badass. It was in insane. It was Everett, me and Everett on the Clipper, and we were running a bird trip for Alvaro. It was so cool. Dude, is it crazy that we had blue whales last year every day in like tw a dozen plus for like six months straight and didn't see krill on the surface once? I mean, the big years for blue whales, we didn't see surface krill very much. Hmm. So. Yeah. Trying to find that the photo of krill. Yeah. Super cool. Do you think I'll see it again? I think so. I think on colder phase years, it's more likely to see krill. One of the things that I really wanted to see that I never saw in the five and a half years that I was there was um, sometimes the krill is either really late in the season or really early and the gray whales will like eat it. They'll skim feed at the surface oh, and yeah, eat it yeah. on migration. Cool. So. Man. Krill. <laughs> we all want some krill. Except We're gonna hit a whale ostrich. Let's let's. Oh yeah. Let's also not buy krill supplements. Get your omega three somewhere else, because those are coming from krill populations oh, in dude. the Southern Ocean typically. I found it. What you found the photo? Yeah, I want to share it with you. Sorry. For those of you that are Patreon subscribers, you actually get the dude, video post that of this episode. Right now. And Slater. Maybe we'll use that for that the right um, Instagram post when the episode yeah, Adam, goes live. Wait, I want to show Adam the krill. You can see it. Um, yeah, you, you can right see here. it all boiling. Isn't that cool? Look how little it is. That's so badass. Wow. It, yeah, the yeah it's like this little like red sideways. cloud that like sparkles at the surface and then the whale comes up. Oh, uh, do you think it'll ever happen again? Yeah, I think so. Look at the little krill. Do you krills. think you see that on my Lumix G9? Look at them. Look at the little <laughs> krills. Dude, you had a Lumix G2 when this was happening. Not even. Adam wasn't even on the ocean nothing. back then. I wasn't even born yet. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you. There were some days back then. 2017, if I could redo that year. It'll happen. Okay, so that's all I have for this week's episode. Yeah. You know krill. what? Blue carbon, krill. It's where it's at. We need to get serious about it. I just want to. I want to see a blue whale again. Do you think I'll ever see one again? No. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> if you come to Monterey. <laughs> hey, back off. <laughs> um, what I will I wanna... say about the the April trips is some years that there's blue whales around by then. So you know, not just killer whales. It is the best time to see killer whales, but humpback whales are around. You might still see gray whales. Definitely going to see a variety of dolphins. So if you come more than one oh, day, you increase your chances. We're definitely going to see gray whales. Do you think historically? Gray whales getting munched on. Santa gray Barbara getting was murdered. Like, uh, you know what I'll give Adam? I just, for some reason, my brain can picture a time where blue whales were like in Santa Barbara Channel. Like historically, like that was their spot more than anywhere else. But then, well, yeah, you know, I mean, that's where John Calamikitis tries to it do is. his work. It historically is. But the past, I mean, like even last year, dude, it was easily the best spot for yeah, blue but I'm whales talking like entire year. Before whaling. oh for sure oh, yeah, Can you imagine sure. freaking hundreds and hundreds of blue whales? oh my god it's so sick yeah but right like, next to the channel islands it's freaking 100 oh, yeah oh absolutely and blue whales and yeah whales and minky whales absolutely I mean, but i think with their population yeah. decline there's only two thousand of them well the thing about blue whales is that 
that's what John was telling us. They feed the entire coast. Mm-hmm. They can feed from San Diego all the way up to freaking Alaska. And, mm-hmm. and it's just every Alaska year, it, it, it changes every year. Yeah. You know, like well, San Diego was really good. That, or not even, that wasn't even San Diego. It was San Clemente Island, 70 miles offshore. But like, that was really good this year. Monterey had them for like a month, for like a month, and then they disappeared. Yeah. You know, I, so I, like I've this year was just kind of a month. bad blue whale year. They've been seeing it. I know, but this year you did. This year you saw them for that one month, and then they were gone. Yeah, but they were seeing in most of those months, just not like we had them very consistently. Yeah, in like July or August or whatever it was. Yeah. But I've seen blue whales in December here, and no, whatever. Which was totally weird, but it has happened. But I'm like, like like, I can't two fluke delta, whatever. Yeah. Rip. I can't. I guess. I guess Newport had a couple blue whales the other day, but. Besides that, like it's been kind of a bad blue all year, to be honest. At least off of the near coast of California, the, they've got to be yeah. somewhere. I'm telling you, I bet you we get to twelve or get to 08 a lot more than we do because we're oh two is like kind of where everybody gets to on the regular trip. Yeah, unless they're pushing it like yesterday for the killer whales. You yeah, know, where they then they went to like forty eight and 08, and then they ended up yeah. at fifty and ten. But I think that. On an average trip, they don't ever go out that far, and they're probably out. Like, dude, Kate wrote me the other day. She goes, "I'm pretty sure there's blue whales on the hydrophone." And it's like yeah. we've been seeing tons of foul ropes, and then Cassin's oculates, and I don't even know. Do Cassin's oculates eat it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like we've been seeing all. But then where are the blue there. whales? Exactly. They're hiding. They're, they're the hydrophone picks up whales. Remember they told us like troughs. all around town. Yeah, so they could. I thought I out. heard. I thought I heard one on the hydrophone last week too. But if you, I mean, like when we had that presentation from Will and John during Whale Nerds Weekend, when you look at those hot spots, a lot of them are not within range of a four-hour whale watch trip. So oh. when you're seeing them regularly on a whale watch, there's a lot going on because there's got to be even more. We see them on the Cypress Point all the time. Yeah, but that's that's one spot. The, the other spot they're where they're there, much dude. more common it's is Cass like Cast Point Sur. Yeah. So. And same thing up off Santa Cruz. That's really far even for a Santa Cruz boat to get to. Yeah, but you know what? We don't have a Santa Cruz boat. Okay, listen, the boats boats in Monterey, (laughs) except for Slater's boat, go 10 knots. They're not the Condor Express. (laughs) Matthew Savoca said he'd love to come on the podcast sometime. Uh, Yeah, let's have him. We're in. Right now. (laughs) Be like, what are you doing? We got caller number six. (laughs) (laughs) Part three, baby. episode 96 wait so this is his abstract was part of that hakai the npr magazine? npr oh and nature nature was a part of that hakai, that hakai put out on the 18 to i mean the 10 to 20 tons of krill per day oh is that what i texted you it was a hakai magazine article yeah it was, oh, it yeah. was hakai. yep I mean, a lot of places have picked it up since I sent it but to that you guys. Was, that, yeah, yeah. He, that was, but that was that paper, from yes. Jeremy Gold, yeah, it was from yes. their lab. Yep, he's a grad student in their lab. Oh, my God. Or a postdoc or something. Yeah, yeah, no. He works in their lab, yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. Oh, my God. Like, will I ever see Pacific white-sided dolphins swimming with a blue whale again? I don't know. I don't know about that, but yeah. Oh, my no, God. I, so. I was stressing out on my way out to, to get to the killer whales, and I was going to give up because – Kate was like, they're doing nine knots straight northwest. And I was like, I was still like three miles away. And Annie was like, Slater, that's like seven minutes for you. Keep going. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, but like, and so I ended up keep going. And then he, he, got, he gets on the radio and he's like, will the killer will still be there when I get there? And I was like, that, I was like, that is literally how I feel right now. I was like, are they still going to be there? <laughs> I'm driving for 45 minutes and they're still going. Like I knew I could catch them, but it was like, do I want to catch them at Davenport? You yeah. know what I mean? Yep. Yep. And it was a funky day, dude. It's like it was one o'clock. I thought it was six o'clock. Like, because the time change just makes it so weird. I don't know why. All of a sudden that even Bill got on the radio and was like, it just feels weird right now. The sun <laughs> is at an angle. It was sunset for like yeah. the trip. And I, I don't yep. even it was two o'clock. Yep. Yeah, well, that's how we felt on our last few trips of the season, too, because we're further north than you guys, so it gets darker earlier. And we were like, man, our afternoon trip, like, gets golden hour now. Like, this is kind of yeah. nice. That's how I felt. Like, that old. But it also means I have to wash the boat in the dark when we get back. <laughs> we would get golden hour earlier here, except it's been foggier than turkey lately. Yeah. How come, dude? I don't know. It's, it's- a... 
Land is warmer than the sea. Convection fog. Yeah, but typically... Hey, you learned that in your captain's class. (laughs) Typically a pretty sunny November, but this November is foggy as heck. All right, y'all. Well, thank you very much for listening. Whales are awesome for the ocean. And we need to appreciate them and take care of them. And view them. Look at them. And I'm surprised you held both Slater and I's attention for two hours straight. I know. That's the most impressive. Bro, part. we talk about whales literally for 17 hours straight a day. I mean, that's I know, true. but like, <laughs> <laughs> you act like, I know. Uh, back to back. I got him for like... a back to back setup so I can drive across the country and not have to worry about recording. So. Thanks, everyone, for listening and supporting the podcast. You can get merch. You can sign up for a trip. You can tell us you love us or hate us, whatever you want. Our website is the- or in the morning. <laughs> Our website's thewhalenerds.com. And you can follow us on social media at whalenerds on Facebook or Instagram. And thank you very much to our Patreon subscribers. You can also sign up for our mailing list on our website. And that gets you... Uh, early information about things coming up like trips or merch or other things we got going on so if you want to subscribe to our mailing list you can do that on our website and yeah hopefully we'll see you in april or maybe in a future trip after that but thanks for listening enjoy your holiday season as it starts to approach and yeah thank you so much it's been a wonderful three years friendship we're getting close we're getting close to our birthday are we gonna get to 100 episodes by our birthday maybe no 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 you gotta get five episodes in the next freaking uh when did we start i don't even know january it was rainy a lot i remember oh i think it was mid-january so we might get to episode 100 by our third birthday we'll see oh sick all right thanks everyone bye 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 bye